we developed this, uh, I'd, I'd work actually with uh, the Center for New Media along with Professor Manning Marable, who um, was, is the founding director of the Institute for Research in African American Studies and now the director of the Center for Contemporary Black History. Um, we had worked together, I think our first partnership was on the W.E.B. Du Bois Souls of Black Folk multimedia study environment. And basically what um, the multimedia study environment is, or at least for the, the autobiography of Malcolm X, it is the complete text of the autobiography online. And throughout the text there are hyperlinks or terms that are highlighted and when you click them um, to the left, a window shows up with uh, an annotation. Um, in many cases they're critical annotations, but for this project we stuck to explanatory notes. Um, when we set out to work on the um, autobiography of Malcolm X, MSE, um, we really weren't sure what our objectives were because it was a very new project for us. And, um, but as we proceeded through the project, three objectives kind of became clear. Um, teaching, learning, and research. Um, in, in terms of teaching, we wanted to develop a tool that would allow us to critically examine the life and world of Malcolm X. In terms of learning, we wanted to create what Professor Marable has called new knowledge uh, as part of his living history project. Create new, uh, uh, examine new frontiers in the life of Malcolm, in the world of Malcolm, so that not only are the students learning, but we, we also are learning new things about his life, new perspectives about his life. And finally, we wanted to create a research tool by building a digital-based archive uh, or knowledge center that can further research in Malcolm and his world. In terms of the teaching, the objective of teaching, um, in examining Malcolm X's life, the first thing we had to do is revisit the canonical text, uh, the autobiography of Malcolm X. Uh, if you look at a lot of the early scholarship done on Malcolm X in the 70s and early 80s, uh, many of the articles and books will cite the autobiography of Malcolm X as a historical document. And I think someone referenced earlier today, and certainly with James Fry's controversy with A Million Pieces, we know that um, autobiography is not, should not be seen as an automatic historical fact. And that um, to, to even go broader than that, history itself, uh, from our understanding, is not simply a record of factual events, but is a site of contestation. Uh, and, this, and this is especially true in autobiography. So uh, to, to repeat something that Professor Marable often says, and he is working on a comprehensive biography of Malcolm X, uh, he has said, uh, before I can write the biography, we have to rewrite the autobiography. And so this, uh, this tool was a way for us to re-engage and critically examine and reinterpret the autobiography, not, in, not only in terms of what it has to say about Malcolm, but what it doesn't say about Malcolm. And so um, we had to transform this text, the autobiography, into a more dynamic, interactive and organic text. And it's kind of odd to speak of a digital-based product as organic, but the way that we built it and the way that we used it in class was geared towards producing what we called new knowledge. Um, as I said, the, the basic structure of the MSE um, has these annotations. Um, and if you 
click on annotation index, you can see the full list arranged alphabetically of terms that we have annotated or explained so that the reader going through the autobiography of Malcolm X, when they come upon one of these terms and they click on it, they get you know, an elaboration on that term's meaning and what it means for the text. So it provides a greater context. Um, the other uh, element that was important for us in terms of uh, categorizing and pulling together existing information is the creation of a multimedia archive. And here, what we have, and they're organized in, in these categories, first in terms of Malcolm's speeches, and the table is set up so that you can sort it by the type, whether it's a speech or an interview. Uh, you can sort it by date of when the um, item was either recorded or delivered. You can cite it by location. You can cite it by the title of the speech, um, the title of the audio clip, and then, of course, you can click on you know, the, the media icon to either listen to the clip or in the case of a video clip, to view the clip. We also have archival footage that we utilize, newsreel footage um, that was related to Malcolm X, um, commentary, which I'll talk about in a second, um, press clippings, the FBI files, and a photographic uh, image gallery. Um, so this, is, this was existing information. We had you know, these terms with annotations that were written. We had the multimedia index with uh, clips, audio clips, video clips, images and text that we found. Um, so this was existing, but in terms of creating new knowledge, in terms of creating new ideas and new approaches to the study of Malcolm, what was important was how we juxtaposed these records from different media formats to raise new questions or provide new answers to old questions. Um, and, and we used this in the class uh, last spring, an undergraduate lecture class with approximately 60 students. Uh, and the class was uh, focused solely on Malcolm X's life. Um, and each week, uh, we broke down Malcolm X's life into about 10 to 12 time periods or eras. So each week focused on a specific time period of his life. So it was very closely matched to his biographical life, and we broke down the autobiography accordingly. And so the students um, had to use, they were assigned to, to work through this MSC along with the other texts that they were assigned in class. Um, we assigned them to give presentations every week in discussion section, and part of their grade uh, to, in, in, in that presentation was that they had to incorporate the multimedia study environment. And so they had to use this tool in their presentations and in their writing assignments, they had to use materials from the MSE as well. Um, in, in working with them to, to um, how, invest how to utilize this, there were some interesting questions that came up that they, they used to approach the study of Malcolm. And I'd like to go through some of those um, and, and, and in doing so, show you some of the materials that we have embedded in the MSE. One of the um, questions that one of our, some of our student presenters wanted to examine was, what was the relationship between Malcolm X and the media? What was the role of the media and his emergence as a spokesperson, and how did he use the media uh, to his advantage to promote his political agenda? Um, and 
in, in doing so, I'll direct you to chapter 14 of the autobiography, which deals with Malcolm's kind of emergence on the scene uh, when the uh, black Muslims or the Nation of Islam, the group that he was a, a member and spokesperson for, first achieved the kind of media attention that thrust them into the spotlight. And Malcolm talks about this um, in the, if you notice these numbers are paragraph numbers because that's the way we would cite this online, chapter, paragraph number, because the pages, of course, don't correspond. But if you, it, Malcolm talks about the uh, program that airs um, in the late 1959 called The Hate That Hate Produced. Um, and you can see that that's highlighted. And when you click on it, um, there is a discussion of that program. And this program was anchored by two journalists, Louis Lomax, and a very, not so very, but seemed at the time, very young Mike Wallace. Um, and when, within each annotation, there are links to other annotations. So it's really uh, a deep kind of spirally embedded type of uh, a text. And when you go to Mike Wallace's uh, annotation, within each annotation, there are multimedia links and references. And we had the uh, clip of the Hate That Hate produced that the students could see. Good evening, I'm Mike Wallace. Last week on Newsbeat, our 6.30 news program here on Channel 13, we presented a five-part series which we called The Hate That Hate Produced. A study of the rise of black racism, of a call for black supremacy among a small but growing segment of the American Negro population. Okay, well we have other clips from that program, but this gives you a sense, and the students got to see how, uh, I guess, the sensational context um, through which Malcolm and his community were introduced to the general public. Um, and so this prompted a greater consideration and deeper consideration and discussion of the relationship between the media and Malcolm, and, and a kind of larger consideration in terms of the media's role in the emergence of black leadership in the 1960s. Of course, television is becoming very prominent, um, and so it plays a very significant role. It played a very significant role in publicizing the atrocities during the civil rights movement in the South, the segregation campaigns, but it also played a significant role in promoting not only who black spokespeople were, but in what context they should be seen. And in this case, it was clearly a very, even the music is very like haunting, you know, and, and uh, Mike Wallace is just delivering a stern warning uh, in, in his programming. Another um, interesting question that the students considered in this um, was examining Malcolm's role as a speaker. And of course, he had always been in writing. If you read about Malcolm, he's always championed as a speaker, as a very articulate, as very persuasive. And his you know, book of speeches were assigned to the students to read. Um, but that's really half the power, uh, is just reading the written word. Part of the power and, and, and influence of Malcolm was his ability to engage his audience. And that's not something that you can get just by reading the text or reading reports of his speeches. With this tool, we were able to combine the experience of reading the text or reading reports of the speeches with actually listening to the speech so you get the full sense. And in this very same chapter, in the 20th paragraph, um, there is a, a, an excerpt where Malcolm is talking about his famous metaphor 
that he used of the house Negro versus the field Negro. Um, and when you click on the link for that, you get a very detailed discussion in terms of what the meaning was of that metaphor and how Malcolm used it. At this point, I should probably pause here because you see that there are four corresponding tabs in annotations and in the text, politics, culture, globalism, and faith. We approach the text from four perspectives that we call lenses, politics, culture, globalism, and faith. Uh, politics looked at Malcolm's life and looked at the text in terms of his developing political ideology, in terms of black nationalism, his relationship to the civil rights movement, and to American politics. Culture looked at the autobiography as a cultural text, looking at Malcolm's engagement with black culture, Malcolm as a cultural figure. Globalism looked at his relationship to the larger world outside of America, his international travels, his relationship to Africa and the Middle East, and faith looked at the text in terms of his religious journey and relationship to Christianity and Islam and Malcolm as a man of faith. Um, depending on what the term was, sometimes they were annotated in just one lens, two, three, or four lenses, you know, again, depending on what um, the term was. And in the case of House Negro and Field Negro, we annotated them in two, two perspectives from politics and culture. When you click on the multimedia reference for that particular term, um, you actually get to hear Malcolm um, speaking from his message to the grassroots speech, which was assigned to the students to read this case, they get to hear a clip. To understand this, you have to go back to what young brother here referred to as the house Negro and the field Negro, back during slavery. There was two kinds of slaves. There was the house Negro and the field Negro. The house Negro, they lived in the house with master. They dressed pretty good. They ate good because they ate his food, but he left. They lived in the attic. Okay, I'll just, I'm going to only play a clip, but you hear the laughter, and it's important to think of the audience when you think of Malcolm X as a speaker. His ability, and really his sense of humor, and his ability to engage his audience and draw not only historical references, but bring those historical references to the present and draw analogies. And, and in, the term, in terms of a house Negro versus field Negro, he popularly used that to criticize the current state of black leadership. So not only do you get to read Malcolm talking about his speech and his discussion of the House Negro versus Field Negro, you get to hear him give the speech. And as an added level of examination, uh, we interviewed scholars for this MSE. And in this clip, although Professor Robin Kelly couldn't be with us, we have him with us here. Malcolm is so famous for the House Negro, Field Negro um, division, meaning the House Negro as a, the kind of uh, middle class, um, often educated leader who uh, he sees as Uncle Tom's or as he calls them, nincompoops with PhDs and that sort of thing. And the field Negro being uh, the slave who worked, who never trusted the master, who was willing to revolt and rise up. Uh, and he and that metaphor, I think, became a kind of organizing principle for the way he thought about class. Okay, so that's just a clip to give you a sense of the different levels of examination of just that one passage from the autobiography of Malcolm X that lays the basis for a greater discussion, not only in terms of Malcolm's 
a use of rhetoric, but also his actual speaking style and, and delivery. One of the, the other things that we accomplished with the text um, was to challenge the integrity of the text. Um, again, autobiography or memoir, however you want to justify it, is an act of invention of mem selective memory. And Malcolm, throughout the production of this text, had different, differing objectives. Initially, he set out to write a book that would celebrate the work of Elijah Muhammad in the Nation of Islam. And in the middle of working on this book, of course, he breaks from the Nation of Islam and he changes his objective to um, actually, in a sense, apologizing and criticizing his earlier career. Um, and so the tone of the text changes. Um, and that's just one example of the, the way that the author's intent and then, of course, Alex Haley, who was the transcriber for this autobiography, had his own objectives and his own agenda in producing this text. Um, just to give you one small example of how we kind of challenge the integrity of the text um, is if you look through the globalism lens, which looks at Malcolm's relationship to Africa and the Middle East, um, in the 11th paragraph of this same chapter, and this chapter is talking about 1959. Um, he says, anyway, national publicity was in the offing for the Nation of Islam when Mr. Muhammad sent me on a three-week trip to Africa. Now, for people who are familiar with the kind of uh, canonical narrative of Malcolm X, it was that he was this kind of parochial uh, black nationalist um, separatist while he was in the Nation of Islam and when he left the Nation of Islam in 1964 that's when he expanded his horizons and traveled abroad and visited Africa and the Middle East and experienced his, his, experienced his epiphany about different cultures and different people. However, buried in chapter 14 is this one sentence where Malcolm talks about, or one paragraph where Malcolm talks about his three-week trip to Africa in 1959, a full five years before his more kind of glamorized and publicized travel. And when you click on that three-week trip to Africa, you get a detailed discussion of that trip, who he visited, who he talked to, and we talk about his, his meeting with officials in Egypt, including President Gamal Abdel Nasser's chief of staff, his travel to Saudi Arabia, to Sudan, to Nigeria, to Ghana. And so this, uh, by, by using this tool, we kind of elevate and amplify our, what maybe are silences in the text and complicate the story of Malcolm. That, you know, this kind of epiphany he experienced in 1964 was not because he had been there for the first time. And it calls into question the way he discusses the trip in 1964. Because, of course, that trip received several paragraphs later in the book after he's left the Nation of Islam. And so the question is, why didn't he really discuss it in 1959? What was the reason why this only receives one paragraph? Was it Malcolm's selective memory? Was it because it fit a certain kind of narrative that Alex Haley was trying to construct? Or were there other, did he just turn a blind eye to what he saw because of his belief at the time? So these are the kinds of questions that we were able to raise using the MSE. Um, so in addition to transforming the autobiography from a kind of static text to something that was more dynamic with multiple points of entry, as you can see, going in through 
um, the multimedia index, going in through annotations, through the index, or actually working through the actual text of the autobiography itself. We also, we also added new information in the form of interviewing scholars. You saw the example with Robin Kelly um, and, and what we call thematic sections. And these were based on four seminar lectures delivered by Professor Marable on four different subjects that critically examined the text of the autobiography um, in four areas. One, the assassination of Malcolm X and its aftermath. Two, what we titled Whose Book Is This? The tension between Malcolm and Alex Haley in terms of how the, the autobiography was produced. Three, Malcolm X, Women and Gender. And four, Malcolm X's political thought and legacy. And within each of these, um, uh, Professor Marable's uh, lecture is outlined into segments. You can actually, um, you can listen to the entire lecture or you can select specific um, segments. And in one segment, uh, within each segment, we sometimes include links to other parts of the MSE. In this one, um, So in the final months of his life, Malcolm grappled seriously with women's oppression, but not without difficulties and not without contradictions. So Professor Marable begins talking about Malcolm's relationship to emerging feminism and women leadership. And when you, while you, after you've listened to that clip, you can uh, listen to a clip from one of our scholars, Farrah Griffin, for example, List talking about Malcolm and women. In misogynist society, all women need to be protected. There's a reason why we need protection. Um, but there are protection or kind of discourses of protection that serve to limit women, limit their freedom, limit their mobility, create a space for them to occupy, usually a space that's a private space within a family context where they can exercise their power, perhaps. Um, that's one version of protection. Another version of protection that all too often doesn't emerge in nationalist discourse. Okay, so that's an example of a clip that adds again a richer uh, uh, experience in terms of the student's consideration of Malcolm and his relationship to women and gender. And, and finally, I want to close with um, something that was, well, as I said, we, we, we were also creating not only a teaching tool and a learning tool in creating new knowledge, but also a research tool in creating an, an archive. And the importance and significance of this archive, I think, really hit us uh, with this clip that I'm going to show you where um, uh, Professor Marable, in talking about the assassination of Malcolm X, OK, no, it's not the assassination. Let's see. I think it's still Malcolm X, Women and Gender, yes, where he talks about Ossie Davis's eulogy, and everyone knows Ossie Davis, the um, black actor who passed away last year. We actually had a chance to interview him um, for in the, in the construction of this MSE. And I actually think, um, let's see, there may be a faster way to go about doing this. Uh, I actually think it's probably um, maybe the last speech that um, Ossie Davis, I mean, last interview that Ossie Davis gave on uh, Malcolm X. And I just want to play a clip with Ossie Davis speaking about the eulogy. So we kind, I think it kind of delivers uh, a poignant statement in terms of not only 
um, what I've already stated about this MSE, but the kind of historical value that this tool now has. Well, I was uh, honored to be, to be asked to give the eulogy at Malcolm's funeral. But uh, it basically came to me because it was meant to serve a political purpose. Bear in mind that Malcolm had been shot dead on Sunday uh, in February. And then on Tuesday night, the uh, temple had been fireballed. Okay, well, I, we, because of time, we can't see the whole thing, but that just gives you a sense of the importance that this MSC has had, not only to us and our class, but to the field, the study of Malcolm, and African-American studies. Thank you.